Week ending 1st of November 2014. This is Pat and Rod Save the World. I'm Roderick Makem. And I'm a slightly under the weather, Pat Brown. <laughs> You're not looking well, Pat. No, mate. Uh, avoid me. I could well have Ebola. Although, frankly, I've not come in contact with anyone who's recently travelled to Liberia, so it's more likely to be the common flu. But uh, with the way the media is spreading panic these days, who fucking knows, bro? You may well be listening to the first Australian case. <laughs> so, Considering we may have spread a little panic ourselves on some earlier podcasts. <laughs> oh, piffle. It was all well-considered commentary. Yeah, right it was. I stand by it. I'm glad I did it. That's an in-joke for anyone who happened to go to school with us. Um, so... <clears throat> the three topics today. First, we're going to talk about the gridlock in American politics um, and the advantage that the Republicans seem to be gaining from it. Yeah, the, um, uh, well, the disadvantage of incumbency, basically, in that uh, you uh, seem to just have to sit there taking all the pot shots mm. and, uh, and no matter how, how much um, the opposition holds things up, or, well, fucks around basically with the democratic process. The um, the pe- the people who are in power are the ones who take the hit for it. That's it. And just to give people a few statistics, the uh, profit of the American political system right now is a chap by the name of Nate Silver, who came came to prominence running a blog called 538 in association with the New York Times. Nate Silver is the publisher of um, The Signal and the Noise, and he's a data scientist who specialises in divining the likely outcomes of um, political contests. Just to give you a sense of how fucking eerily accurate this guy is, um, he called in the last election, 2012, despite the howls of, um, of... agony from the Republican side, 50 out of 52 races correctly in the congressional uh, elections of the 2012 cycle. Can you bet on elections? I don't know, but he's probably (laughs) a reasonable one because his record extends further back than that. He had similarly accurate figures in 2008. And I think that what's particularly remarkable about it is that it really flew in the face of the conventional wisdom both times. Um, he was basically the first guy to stand up and say, look, Obama's going to win this quite easily. And, you know, there were howls of dismay, dismay from the other side, but um, turns out that he was right. Anyway, the Democrats this time are less enamoured with his predictions. And it's because he's basically um, predicting that it's more likely than not, and not by a long way, by the way, that the um, Democrats are going to lose the Senate Um, and obviously that the Republicans will maintain control of the House of Representatives, which would mean that the Democrats only have a hold over one branch of government, the executive, because actually currently on the Supreme Court, there's a preponderance of the nine justices um, being conservative. It... um, Well, I couldn't say anything uh, too good for Obama's last... uh little stint in the presidency, the, um, the phrase lame duck springs to mind. Yes, as it increasingly does at this stage yeah. of the cycle, although it's earlier than usual. Yeah. I mean, if, they, if he doesn't have um, either Senate or uh, 
the uh, House of Representatives um, to try and get anything done with, mm. yeah. then, um, yeah, yeah, it's just going to be... How long to go does he have? A couple of years? Well, after that election, after the 2014 yeah. cycle, which I think is in three, four days, yeah. um, he has two years yeah. left. So that's basically two years of... Uh, Sweet fuck all to look forward to. Yeah. I mean, it's not beyond the realms of possibility, apparently, that the congressional Republicans would um, get tax done with Obama. Um, but uh, going on the form for the last few years, that seems increasingly unlikely. But not to get too sort of caught up in the politics, but um, you wanted to say something? No, I was just going to ask... Um uh, what is the what's the reasoning that this guy gives for his prediction here? Is it uh, any honestly uh, policy in particular, or no, no? I mean, we're talking about Nate Silver, yeah, purely based on polls, okay. crunching data. He has a model that's apparently unparalleled, yeah, and um, is just it's really a specialist statistics driven model. Um, yeah. And you know, I can't pretend for a second to understand even the basics about it, um, but. The reason we are going to discuss this was because it could be said that this is an incredibly perilous moment for the American political system because the Republicans have behaved extremely badly over the last six years. They have thwarted Obama in unparalleled and unprecedented ways. Uh, and they seem to be rewarded for this. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, what was it, the blocking supply and things like that? Um, That's it. The government yeah. shutdown. Yeah, um, and uh, and it does seem uh, well a bit of a concerning precedent because if it works, and you know, according to this guy Silva, it seems like it will. Mm. Um, then uh, they'll be, you know, they're getting rewarded in the polls, and at the end of the day, that's what any politician and political party looks to, uh, and people will start saying this is. A, a particularly valid political strategy in the future. Which is pretty frightening. Yeah. Um, the question is, psychological studies have been done, and I can't quote them, but they were recent. So if you Google um, study on conservative and liberal reasoning, you'll find that conservatives stick apparently much more to principles. They're far more dogged in pursuing principles and negotiations. And the uh, liberals, or the, the left wing in America, um, people who register as Democrats, are far more likely to pragmatically compromise. Um, and I think that that's, that particular psychological study is borne out by the rightward shift of the American window or spectrum of yeah. opinion, which has definitely shifted rightward yeah. over the last few decades. Well, I mean, I, um, I was having a, a conversation with a mate um, who probably falls more on the Republican side of things. Um, and he was, uh, he was making the point that um, a lot of the sort of obstructionist tactics that the, uh, the Republicans have done uh, in the Obama presidency is because Obama came in saying he was, you know, Mr. Mr. Compromise and Mr. Let's Get Things Done. And then according to this guy, then embarked on, you know, uh, the most uh, left-wing... Uh, you know, platform that America has seen for quite some time. As an Australian, though, I don't look at um, all the all that much that Obama has done that is particularly left wing. Well, what the Americans, um, the conservatives in America, are always squealing about is Obamacare as an indicator of overreach. Mm. And 
to my mind, that was pre precisely just that plan was passed by Mitt Romney when he was governor of Massachusetts. And it's hardly a left-wing plan. I mean, yeah. most countries that approach this problem from a left-wing perspective just have a single-payer system where the government runs the fucking lot. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, what do you think his political persuasion is? It sounds like he's kind of on the conservative side of things. Yeah. Right. Okay. Just wondering if he's got any biases. I think also that the Republicans smelled blood with Obama. Um, I think he is a guy who backs down. Um, I could name a few examples off the top of my head. Uh, judicial appointees is one. Yeah. Um, certainly with Syria and the red line comments, you know, don't talk about red lines in a neighbourhood where Putin lives. And he has a tendency really... to flip-flop on things too. NSA, yeah. strikes. Um, flip-flops? Well, as in say one thing and then do the exact opposite. Right, without saying anything yeah. about it. Right. Because I've actually... I don't mind when politicians flip-flop unless it looks completely opportunistic. If someone's flip-flops for a good reason, if circumstances have changed, if they're faced with a new factual scenario, then I think that the response to accusations of flip-flopping is, well, I'm still a sentient human that takes into consideration information up to date. Um, so, look, I, I think that uh, the Americans are in a situation where there's been pretty extreme um, partisan uh, deadlock. Um, I think it's probably even worth stopping just for a second to figure out what the filibuster statistics are because they're pretty striking. Yeah. So we've done a little bit of research and what we've found, as you usually do, is that things are more complicated than at least I thought. Um, there are apparently different methods of making the Senate grind to a halt. Um, filibuster is one of them, but there's another technique apparently called cloture. And I think there's another one besides that, um, which means that it's harder to come by statistics of obstructionist tactics. Well, the table I was looking at was the cloture votes. Yeah, right. Okay. Now, in terms of cloture votes, there was like more than a doubling over the last 20 years. Yeah. Um, and um, and from the time that the, uh, the, Repu the Republicans became a minority... Um, which I think was going back to 2000 and... It was 2012. Yeah. Sorry, 2008. Yeah. Because then Obama had to run up the mill to get that's right. through. Um, yeah. In that year, it uh, it doubled um, than on the previous year. Um, went from about 50 to over 100. Yeah, the graph's pretty striking. I don't think there's much of an argument that there's been unparalleled obstructionism by the Republicans. Um, I don't have a dog in the fight, obviously, being Australian, but um, by all means, if anyone out there has got any ideas about this and thinks we're wrong, let us know. It's mail at pattenrodsavetheworld.com. Um, so the question is, politicians are really a cowardly lot. Yeah. They always look to the most res recent precedent. And if the precedent is that obstructionism of that nature damages works. the person in power more than the people out of power, i.e. works on political calculations, then I think we're going to see a lot more of it. The question is, will the Dems overwhelm their psychological bias to obstruct like the Republicans? Yeah, it's, a, and it's an interesting question because, I mean, if that does become the norm, then, uh, my God, it's going to make them hard for, hard, harder for them to run their country. Certainly will. Um, yeah. There were apparently reforms to the filibuster in late 2013. 
otherwise known as the nuclear option, which makes it harder to filibuster than it previously did. Mm. Um, but that has apparently not solved the problem. It, is, it has eased it somewhat. Nonetheless, no one's getting anything through the House of Representatives anyway. Yeah. Um, so I think we're in for a lot more of the same. Yeah. That's basically my prediction, unless something really dramatic happens. Yeah. Um, on a, uh, a much smaller scale, uh, there was a similar uh, sort of example, I suppose you could say, when um, uh, the Australian Prime Minister Tony Abbott, when he was in opposition, it was a relentlessly negative opposition mm. um, that, uh, yeah, se- seemed to want to fight the, uh, the government of the day on just about every single issue. Uh, a different situation, though, among other things, it was a um, it was a minority government that was in power at that time, due to uh, well, what happened with the uh, the election and independents winning votes and that sort of thing, mm. and minor parties. Um, so it's not not uh, a strictly analogous one, but again, um, there are uh, there are people now calling for the uh, Australian Labor Party now that they're in opposition to adopt the same relentlessly negative. Um, fight on every single point. Yeah, uh, opposition because it because people saw that it worked for um worked for Tony Abbott. Yeah, and that I mean I, he was relentlessly negative even by the standards of an avowedly partisan system, yeah. which ours is. In the United States system, the the rules as they stand actually do require a bit of collaboration to get through, unless you are completely dominating the majorities because otherwise people can use techniques to grind things to a halt um, that require a two-thirds majority to move move it on. Um, so if anyone's got any ideas that are more positive, then we can expect more gridlock. Let us know. Uh, hopefully, I mean, I suppose the question is, do I think that it's better for Democrats to be scaredy-cats and not pursue the same strategy? If you're a Democrat... Yeah. Would you give as good as you got or would you put it aside and try and compromise with the Republicans? It's uh, it's an interesting question because, God, there'd be a lot, uh, there'd be a big part of me that was tempted just to uh, give it right back again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just out of spite. Um, but that's, uh, it's not exactly getting things done. I mean, do you think that, uh, I suppose it goes uh, or comes back to how much faith you have in uh, in voters if um, if you try and you know do the right thing while you're in the minority and you know get things done to help the country, mm. do you hope that the voters see that and respect that? Um, well, to reframe it as the who gets damaged more, yeah, I think it's pretty clear now that the party in power gets damaged yeah. by the gridlock more than the obstructionists because. They're ultimately running the show. The obstructionists are less prominent. Their obstruction is um, also less prominent, harder to explain, as we just discovered, by the way. I mean, it's hard at the best of times to explain complex things to a, to a voter, let alone the vagaries of the uh, constitutional system of the United States Congress. Um, so I'm inclined to think that if I was in that position... I would probably give in somewhat, but I'd have extremely clear lines. I would basically say, look, this is what we consider to be a reasonable deal. 
We will trumpet this from the rooftops if you call us obstructionists. We know it polls well. And if you are willing to try and prevent us from um, having our way on that red line, you're going to find nothing but obstruction. And it's really, we're not, no ifs, no buts, we're not compromising. This is a line in the sand. We dare you to try and prove us wrong on that. But you all know what happened last time. <laughs> and this time the roles are reversed. I mean, I think that's the only viable way you can go about it. Honestly. Yeah, I, I just, uh, I can see people drawing that line in the sand at uh, increasingly unreasonable. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. especially if you're angry. Points. You've yeah. just been tipped out of power, having given it your level best. And I mean, I'm by no means a Democrat fan. Um, in fact, I find myself strangely attracted by the radical right wing of the Republican Party sometimes. Definitely not the mainstream Republican Party, but I'm kind of a libertarian, so uh, I have some sympathies with them. Anyway. Anyway, shall we, uh, shall we move on to let's. interesting privacy uh, issues that arose in Australia over the past couple of weeks? Um, and uh, speaking of left and right sides of politics, they both had uh, their own instances of um, particularly embarrassing emails being leaked to the press. Um, it kicked us off, uh, it, uh, it all kicked off with a Sydney University poetry professor by the name of Barry Spur. Which isn't, it doesn't, it's not a particularly poetic name, it sounds like something from a Monty Python skit. Um, and uh, the thing about good old Bazza is that he was, um, he'd been chosen as one of uh, the consultants by the government on uh, basically a, a complete overhaul of um, uh, the Australian English curriculum. Um, and um, being the uh, arch-conservative that he is, he had some particular thoughts about that. Um, anyway, uh, that was the reason why these emails were uh, published, um, because it was believed it was in the public interest that someone who was going to be having such a say on... Uh, such in, something as important as a curriculum for all Australian students, basically, um, uh, that his uh, his views on, say, uh, women, minorities, uh, students with disabilities, uh, which were pretty deplorable. To just give yeah. you a little sample, um, he he called allegedly because I'm not sure they've substantiated the emails yet. Uh, he. Um, he hasn't denied that they're his. Right. Um, and it's sort of hard. To, it'd be hard for he. He went with the tack of, oh, it was just a joke I was having with a friend where we were both trying to outdo each other for saying outrageous things. Mm. Uh, unfortunately for him, he said that after only a couple of the emails had been um, published, uh, the rest of them showed that it wasn't just between him and one other person. It went to, it was a, a long chain uh, of different emails or with lots of different parties. Um, yeah, I think that the lawyer in me wants to say this is all pretty unclear. Um, there's a lot of <laughs> he said, she said. Um, the precise origin of the emails is unclear to the best of my knowledge. So let's just frame this entire segment so with far as the factual scenario is concerned with start allegedly <laughs> and end allegedly. <laughs> Fair um, enough. So fair enough, but um, the next situation, Nova Paris. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the and Nova Paris. Uh, so on the other side of politics, uh, we have Nova Paris, who is um, 
she was an Australian athlete um, back in the late nineties, early two thousands. Um, Hockey and then athletics for those of you that care. Yeah, uh, I think you know she won some medals at the Commonwealth Games. Uh, competed at the two thousand Olympics, but I can't remember if she was at all, if she was successful at anything. Um, and she's uh, she's now a Labor Party senator uh, up in the Northern Territory. And uh, and emails uh, of from her were leaked to the press that, that um, allegedly <laughs> that uh, she was uh, trying to entice the. Uh, Caribbean sprinter Atto Bolden, um, who was uh, another big sprinter from back in the early 2000s, out to Australia to A, uh, take part in a uh, some sort of athletics event as a, a special guest, and B, uh, conduct quite a steamy affair with her. Um, and, uh, and so uh, what people are saying on this one is again the argument of in the public interest if she was trying to uh, allegedly uh, uh, get this guy out here on the public dollar just so that she could, um, well... Get some gnarly sex with a hot-looking dude. Yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> um, and, the, uh, and the emails make it um, quite clear that that is probably the number one thing on her mind certainly less so uh, the athletic side of things. Um, and who could blame her? He's a good-looking <laughs> yeah. man. Um, uh, then people are saying, well, that should be in the, that's in the public interest as well. It was before she was a senator. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and she's saying, you, you go right ahead. Oh, I was just going to wait to hear what you said there. But, yeah. um, so, so she's saying it's before I was, a, I was a senator and she didn't actually have any control of where of, uh, of who got paid money by these various sporting bureaucratic bodies and uh, indigenous organizations. Mm. Um, and so, and as far as the sporting bodies uh, go, uh, by all accounts, they were stoked to get someone uh, of the stature of Addo Bolden, you know, in the athletic world uh, to come out and uh, take part in whatever events that they were doing. So they, they, would, they were happy to, to pay for him to be out there anyway. If she got a little on the side, that seems, as far as they're concerned, an incidental. Yeah, and I suppose, I'm not sure if you pointed it out yet because my listening's not great, being under the weather as I am, um, that uh, she was uh, also married at the time she was. to a chap who she subsequently divorced and was killed in a car accident oh, in 2012. So, um, you know, uh, that's kind of, uh, yeah. not, that's a raw deal for that bloke. Yeah. So uh, the, um, the media organisation who, oh, one final uh, distinction between the Barry Spur and the Nova Paris emails. Mm. The Barry Spur emails were sent from his work email account at this at Sydney University, right. on which there is a disclaimer on every email that it is not private. Right. Um, okay. Uh, whereas, to the best of my knowledge, uh, Nova Paris's were her private correspondence. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that for sure, but I I'm pretty I, I'm so specific, uh, relatively confident that's it. Yeah, I doubt very much that she would have been writing such things in her pro- uh, workplace email. But, uh, you never know, people are stupid. People are silly. Um, <laughs> I mean, Barry Spur was uh, talking about uh, Tony Abbott, the Abbo lover. 
And um, yeah, also yeah. he called. I, I didn't get around to saying that allegedly he called uh, Desmond Tutu a witch doctor. That also doesn't go over real well. No, no. I mean, and there were attacks against uh, alleged attacks um, against high-profile female members of Sydney University mm. um, academia. Um, you know. So it's safe to say it went down like a lead balloon. Yeah. And so the question really here is, we were discussing earlier on, is public interest, what the fuck is it? Yeah. Is this in the public yeah. interest? At what point does someone's privacy get overridden by public interest? Yeah. Because both, it's an interesting th thing with both of these cases is that both of them, um, you'll, you have one side of politics saying, clearly in the public interest, must be, must be published. Um, and oh, and these other ones clearly private. This is a, this is ridiculous. How can they, what a what a breach of privacy? And then with the other set of emails, with the other person involved, exact same arguments, but just the sides reversed. Um, which is what I find interesting about the whole thing. Oh, you do. <laughs> I find that so tedious. Well, it's predictable. <laughs> yeah. But it's uh, maybe not so much interesting as I get a laugh out of it. Yeah, that's uh, perfectly reasonable. Yeah. Because it, <laughs> a tragic it, it, laugh. Yeah. It's it's, it, a it's so. It's so obviously hypocritical yeah. um, that I can't help but laugh. All right. So a, a dry chortle. Yes. Um, I think my own view on this is that while whether or not this thing is in the public interest is an interesting question, um, it's essentially irrelevant because if one newspaper doesn't publish it, it's super likely that another newspaper, particularly of the muckraking variety, will. And if even that newspaper doesn't, then there's probably other ways to release the information on the internet, yeah. heretofore um, less uh, prominent than normal news media. Secret, or Whisper, I think it's called, is an application that basically provides an encrypted means to disclose information that you shouldn't. It's an entire app based on it, and it's uh, Silicon Valley is in love. <laughs> so you're saying that... Uh from a media organisation's uh, perspective, yeah. um, if uh, if we didn't publish it, someone else would. I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I suppose the fact that she was having an affair is context for the apparent or alleged wrongdoing. Yeah, uh, I, I suppose. Uh, and um, what about the fact that she sent a nude photo to him? Yeah. <laughs> There's a strong case to be made that actually that is clear evidence that an affair was actually going on rather than a joke between friends. So that, 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 was, that was never the argument for her. That's the Barry Spur. No, I know that. But why would the, the newspaper justify releasing that in the public interest is my question. Uh, okay. Arguably, you could get away with all the relevant facts without releasing that bit. Yeah. Because um, that bit's super embarrassing. Not yeah. to mention, well, I mean, some some uh, newspapers actually reported in that. In that, they mentioned um, uh, that she, uh, the email showed that she was um, uh, looking to engage in an affair with this bloke without going into any detail of what was said in the emails or or about the photo or anything like that. Yeah. Other other newspapers just went for broke and released it all. Well, I think that's pretty tasteful, actually, mm. to kind of leave the affair out of it, particularly considering... I, I, they mentioned it, but didn't give the details. Yeah. Because, a, because it, it was going to, uh, you know, if, if there was any wrongdoing by Nova Veris, and it actually looks like, you know, 
according to all the athletic bodies and everything, that they wasn't, that they were going to pay this guy to come out anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, but that if there had been any misappropriated funds to get this guy out here, the fact that the reason she wanted him out here was first and foremost to conduct an affair, um, I think would would have gone to the heart of it. Right. You know, if she was in charge of the purse strings yep. and paying it, then yeah, she she'd be in trouble. But it doesn't look like that's the case, so probably not. Yeah, uh, this brought us to a question that we were discussing earlier on about if everybody thought through their email and was actually capable of remembering everything they'd ever sent in an email. Yeah. Would there be anyone or how many people would there be that could literally open the gates to their email, allow an analysis of it by newspapers and still be a politician the next day? I would suspect not many. So would I. So would I. Yeah. Um, certainly not the majority would be my intuitive view of it, although I've got no statistics to back that up. And I hope that um, we all get a little bit more sensible about well, whether or not we're going to judge people based on their worst moments. Because in 20 years' time, um, everybody has shitty occurrences in their life. And in 20 years' time, virtually all of the shitty occurrences in everybody's life will have digital evidence of some description connected with it. Yeah. Um, who knows what? And in 20 years' time, I also, from a tech, technical angle, I really wonder about the power of processing and algorithms and their ability to search for embarrassing shit in mounds of data. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not to get go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Uh, and one final uh, thing on this topic that we were talking about um, was the, the question of, does it matter who, do, who leaks the information in the first place? Um, in uh, in Barry Spurs' case, uh, I don't think they've found. They, I don't think they've discovered yet who leaked them. Um, I actually wouldn't know. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, it, it could be anyone. It could be an external hacker. It could be an internal person that wasn't a fan of his. Yeah. Allegedly, people were not fans of his. Allegedly, he did treat people harshly in the student body. So you get a few tech savvy kids that you piss off. It's hard to know what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, these days, um, anyone with computer skills between the ages of 18 and 25 is actually a real threat to someone who's got something to lose. Yeah. And I suspect, I mean, that's a plausible reason for the releases on Barry Spur. Um, Meanwhile, with the Nova Paris one, uh, the, you know, the report today is that it's a um, uh, basically a dispute between known party, something about child child support or child care or something. Yeah, um, so she's explained it as an attempted blackmail by a family member um, who used the um, folder full of email correspondence to try and, uh, as leverage in a dispute over custody and, yeah. I believe, property. Um, at least that was her explanation today. Yeah. Um, we are recording this, by the way, on Thursday, the uh, 30th of October, because Rod is jetting off to Thailand, full disclosure. Yeah. yeah. Lucky you. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so, I mean, the, the question is, does it matter who, dis like, if, if any whistleblower, does it matter who they are and if they have any ulterior motive, if what they are disclosing um, is something important for the public to know? I think it, it matters for whether or not people consider that the disclosure was tasteful 
If you compare these two incidents with the release of pictures of famous actresses, um, that's actually engendered an enormous amount of sympathy for those actresses. I don't think you could call those the, the people who did those whistleblowers. Certainly not. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Hackers, I suppose, is what I'm approaching the discussion okay. from. Uh, releases of private information or information that could be considered private. Mm. But in that situation, clearly, really cunty people yeah. have released information on women that by no means deserved any treatment of the sort. And the reaction has actually been sympathy. So the motives of those people are clearly dark. Yeah, which is why I was saying whistleblowers, because I think they're an entirely different... Um, uh, it's an entirely different category. Yeah. There's no public interest at all um, consideration um, with the, the hacker thing that you're talking about. Yeah, you're right. You are right. Um, I suppose I'm looking, though, for the end of the spectrum where motivation is seen to matter about data releases. And there's a clear end of the spectrum right there. And even though you wouldn't call those people whistleblowers. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the question is, let's, why don't we do a thought experiment here? Yeah. Um, what if Nova Paris, in our theoretical world, um, had had an affair, but it was clear that the affair from the correspondence had had no impact on her decision to bring the chap out? Yeah. Um, if there were words in there to the effect that we must deal with this situation with the utmost of probity because I'd hate for there to ever be any idea that there's a conflict of interest and perhaps I should have someone else check it. And I mean, in that case, do you think newspapers would release it? With your experience of the media? No, I don't think so because, uh, oh wait, maybe I'm being uh, generous. Some newspapers might release it. <laughs> your profession is not known for its generosity. <laughs> no. Um, uh, no, some newspapers would release it. In that um, case, would you... Just for, just for the cheap thrill. Would you um, consider that that but was... But I, I would say that, um, uh, and I, I think uh, the way it seems to be playing out in this one without the need for a hypothetical, um, uh, considering the uh, the statements from the athletic bodies and whatever, that um, they were the ones who were in charge of the purse strings, not her. They were the ones in charge of uh, deciding who came out and who didn't, and they were happy to, to pay for this guy to come out. It really does seem like the fact that she was having an affair with her bloke was an incidental thing on the side. Um, in which case, you, it, it seems like there's no public interest really to be, uh, uh, to be served. Right. Because there was no loss to the public in this guy coming out here. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, if I'm to speculate a second though, the interests of the athletic bodies and Nova yeah. are aligned in this sense by both of them saying that she didn't have undue influence over whether or not this guy would be invited. So there's an argument to be made that she had much more influence than they would be willing to admit. Oh, definitely. Because it would make them look bad. Yeah. Um, so it's pure speculation, but she seemed to think she had a lot more influence than perhaps she did. There's also, I suppose, the explanation that she was big-noting herself in front of her boyfriend. Entirely possible. And we've all been known to do that. I certainly am guilty. <laughs> Perhaps not in writing to that extent, but, you know. Yeah. Um, what about the Barry Spur one for public interest? So is, it, is it in the public interest that a guy who's having a big say in the future direction of um, 
curriculum for Australian students um, is perhaps not such a uh, stellar human being. Huh. The link is very blurred. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's indirect. I suppose the question is, what poetry did he pick? Um, well, he uh, he apparently, and I don't know enough about this to um, to say it one hundred percent. So we'll go with allegedly. <laughs> um, uh, just 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 you know, gutted any sort of references to. Uh, it's not just poetry, English in general. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, any sort of um, uh, Aboriginal literature is gone. Oh. Um, and I, so, I, I suppose to that, his his emails talking about. Um, or uh, appearing to indicate his complete and utter contempt um, for Aborigines would go to that. Um, so am I right in assuming that he actually removed that material? He, adv he uh, advocated for its removal. Right, okay. Well, that doesn't look great. No. Arguably then, yes. It's a correlation, if not causation, <laughs> to yeah. go to my favourite uh, saying. Um, there was one other aspect of this. To discuss, which is this is a way to basically do public and irreversible demolition to prominent individuals. Yeah. And the question becomes, uh, has this been done purely as a power game in any case? Yeah. You've got to wonder. In either case. In either case. Um, Obviously, it certainly didn't look good for the education minister when one of his hand-picked uh, experts um, was suddenly being dragged through the mud. Yeah. And it certainly doesn't look good for Labor that um, one of their up-and-coming star performers, first-time senator, yeah. uh, handpicked by the previous Labor uh, leader, Julia Gillard, um, as, um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't help but think that Nova Paris's political career is um, on very shaky ground. Uh, yeah, the question, I mean, she's a senator, so she can she can stay around for a while. But if she uh, if she wanted anything else after that, I just think though that if you're a Douglas Stamper like <laughs> political operative, that's a reference to a character in the House of Cards. For those of you that don't watch that amazingly cynical show, <laughs> this would be the holy grail so far as eliminating political opponents are concerned. Yeah. Just hack some emails. Yeah, especially. Because you'll find something. <laughs> especially if you release it at the same, the right time. Yeah. Three weeks before an election is actually held is probably enough time to wreak havoc and substantiate the allegations without allowing uh, an opponent to recover, yeah. uh, the next guy in. I wonder whether or not this will be a feature of politics in the future. I can't see that it won't be. It'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see. It'll certainly make elections in, uh, entertaining. Yeah. Just seeing what uh, what things are going to come out of the woodwork. But also fucking tragic, incredibly tragic. Um, I think it's a pretty risky thing to be a politician moving into the big data era. That's my take on it, and I'm not sure how many instances could have conceivably been carried out for that reason. But in a world without any kind of real electronic security, yeah. um, it also, by the way, gives you a pretty clear indicator of why it's a bad idea to have the NSA sucking up everything unaccountably. Yep. Let's not go down that rabbit hole. Terrible, terrible, terrible idea. Terrible. Speaking of uh, <laughs> speaking of terrible ideas, electronic security and uh, the future of the human race, mm -hmm. Elon Elon Musk and artificial intelligence. So go. 
Elon Musk. <laughs> this is an area of interest of mine. I'm a bit of an Elon Musk fanboy. Um, he was the chap who, uh, he was one of the co-founders of PayPal, which I'm sure you all know if you're listening to a podcast. Yeah. He was also the, Tesla Motors. the founder of Tesla Motors. And um, perhaps more significantly, although it's hard to compare rocket ships with electric cars, viable electric sports cars, the founder of SpaceX, whose only competitors currently, or real competitors at least, are governments. I think it would be pretty cool if you're in an industry and you could actually say, hey, only people against us are governments. (laughs) (laughs) He's really getting to Dr. Evil territory. Um, Not that I'm interested in that at all. Um, So Elon Musk was quoted this week um, on the 27th of October. I'm reading from a Huffington Post article entitled, Elon Musk says artificial intelligence research may be, quote, summoning the demon. I love that. It sounds sounds like, you know, lightning should be crashing overhead. Mm. Now, what he said, I'll get through his quote before I actually explain the context for this, because it's kind of an obscure one, although I think it'll become well known over the next few years. He says, I think we should be very careful about artificial intelligence. If I were to guess at what our biggest existential threat is, it's probably that. With artificial intelligence, we are summoning the demon. You know all those stories where there's the guy with the pentagram and the holy water, and it's like, yeah, he's sure he can control the demon? Doesn't work out. So to briefly try and sum up um, the context of this uh, statement by Musk, I think it's worthwhile explaining what artificial intelligence is. I mean, what does he mean when he says artificial intelligence? What he's talking about is what's known as general AI, which is basically artificial intelligence that's capable of what a human is capable of, um, or at least similar things to what a human is capable of. And the theory about artificial intelligence that's gotten a lot of traction in Silicon Valley. It's a theory called the singularity. Um, One of its most famous proponents is a guy by the name of, um, it escapes me, Ray Kurzweil, who actually um, was an inventor and all-round technological polymath before he started theorizing on a kind of a quasi-religious basis about what would happen if an artificial intelligence was actually invented. And they call it the singularity, um, where they basically say that at the point that artificial intelligence is invented, it's impossible to know what happens afterwards. Because if an artificial intelligence is created by humans, and it is as smart as humans who were capable of creating it, then arguably, if there's no upper limit on intelligence, the artificial intelligence would have the ability to improve itself. 
Now, there are a few logical jumps there, but all of them are relatively plausible, at least in my opinion. And at that juncture, you've got an artificial intelligence that can basically build other artificial intelligences who are improved. And the idea is, is that if this particular thing is malevolent, then we're all kind of fucked. <laughs> just, um, just on that, I think uh, when a lot of people start hearing about this, they still think of it in terms of science fiction well into the future. Hmm. Do you have, uh, uh, you know much of an idea on how close people in Silicon Valley have actually uh, got down the road of um, of developing this? Uh, no. No. <laughs> no, I haven't. Um, the only intelligent life form that we know about is us. And the, the general opinion seems to be that until we are actually able to simulate a human brain in every respect via electronic components, we're not going to be able to build an artificial intelligence. But... Neuroscience is moving forward in leaps and bounds. There are projects underway um, around building simulated brains. And it's really not beyond the realms of possibility. If you told someone in the 19th century that we're going to land on the moon in the 20th, they would have told you you were crazy. Yeah. Certainly, I would have. I can imagine myself as a person in the 19th century. If someone had told me they were going to end up on the moon, I would have told them they were a fucking lunatic, for sure. <laughs> so I think um, that... Um, did you mean to say lunatic? Yeah. What did I say? <laughs> lunatic. Yeah. As, lunatic. Sorry, as in on the moon, lunar, lunatic. Oh, right. No, that was not. <laughs> that is definitely not a product of my befuddled brain. <laughs> definitely not. Um, I think that it's also worth mentioning that um, this really has a lot of traction in Silicon Valley. Okay. These are not idiots who think this. And it does sound quasi religious. And it does sound like something out of Isaac Asimov's short story. What's it called? The one where it ends up just being a throbbing intelligence and the whole cycle starts again. I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, so uh, these aren't idiots. And I think that um, there are some people who take it seriously enough. Um, a really interesting example of which is a guy by the name of Elysia Yudakowsky. And Elysia is obviously a genius, okay? He's just one of those dudes who's got abilities that most of us don't have, and he's got some real trouble um, expressing himself emotionally, shall I say. Um, he's sort of what they'd call the typical geek, you know, perhaps on the spectrum of autism or Asperger's, or something of that nature. Anyway, a lot of these guys have incredible talents in other areas. And Eli, or Eliezer, has basically devoted himself to being the first person to discover AI so that he can be sure that it doesn't wipe out the world, okay? You can read the community around Eliezer on a, a blog called lesswrong.org, which is a super, super interesting um, place where people of his ilk gather and discuss the possibilities of, um, well, it's ostensibly about using reason to solve humanity's problems, but actually a lot of the discussion is around artificial intelligence. Mm. Something I find interesting about this with, you know, people like Elon Musk and, you know, these other really intelligent people all having concerns about, um, well, AI and, um, and its potential for harm for the human race mm. is um, the question of... Uh, where do they get that idea? I mean, is it just, is it art imitating life or life imitating art? Because 
going back to Hal in Space Odyssey, <clears throat> yeah. in popular culture, AI has always been something to be feared. Mm. Um, and just, uh, you know, then through to uh, Terminator and the rest. Oh, speaking of Terminator, we also had James Cameron the other week um, talking about how Skynet is already among us. Oh, no, Skynet has already won. Yeah. Quite. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, uh, but I always just sort of had the idea in my mind, well, you know, it's created by humans, by smart humans. Why would they, surely they put checks and balances in um, that, uh, that it's not going to end up destroying us. Um, but you've got all these people who still, who still very much fear it. And here's the problem with that, and I hate to go back to the NSA, yeah. Snowden's re- revelations, and it makes me sound like I'm kind of a one-trick pony in that respect, but what that amply demonstrated is there is no computer system that is 100% secure. There is not such a thing. That's true. And so the idea is, is if you create this thing as smart as a human, provided it has the ability to improve itself... There will be a glitch in there that it can... It will find a way out. Yeah. Eliezer contends that he has a way to contain it in a box. I'm serious, okay? But what Is he going to call it Pandora for fun? <laughs> <laughs> Why not? I mean, that would be consistent with his narrative. Yeah. Um, I think, though, it's worth also pointing out that Elon Musk, after the quote, I, I watched him talk about it, and he also said, I think regulation might be in order. Now, this is a guy who right now is in the midst of real fights, stand-up brawls with state regulators around his car um, company. And he's not the sort of bloke who's going to call for regulation lightly. Um, I think that's an indicator of how seriously he takes it. And where this gets really funky, and I think is the most interesting, is its quasi-religious aspects. Where I'm reading from a Slate article, and it's called The Most Terrifying Thought Experiment of All Time. (laughs) And there's a warning at the top of the article that says, reading this article may commit you to an eternity of suffering and torment. So here we go. (laughs) Um, Basically, Rocco's Basilisk is an idea that was invented on Less Wrong. And I think it probably bears um, just reading verbatim from the Slate argument article, which is really good on this. It says, quote, One day, Less Wrong user Rocco postulated a thought experiment. What if, in the future, a somewhat malevolent AI were to come about and punish those who did not do its bidding? What if there was a way for this AI to punish people today who are not helping it come into existence later? In that case, weren't the readers of Less Wrong right then being given the choice of either helping that evil AI come into existence or being condemned to suffer. So the founder of Less Wrong, as I said before, Eliezer Yudkowsky, reacted with horror and said the following. Listen to me very closely, you idiot. (laughs) Start caps locks. You do not think in sufficient detail about superintelligences considering whether or not to blackmail you. That is the only possible thing which gives them a motive to follow through on the blackmail. That's the end of the caps locks, but he continues. You have to be really clever to come up with a genuinely dangerous thought. I am disheartened that people can be clever enough to do that 
and not clever enough to do the obvious thing, end caps locks, keep their idiot mouth shut, end caps locks, about it. Because it is much more important to sound intelligent when talking to your friends. This post was stupid. So, basically, they're theorizing that such a thing as hell could exist from an artificial intelligence that's capable of creating one. And that is kind of a freaky idea. It is. So I don't, uh, I don't see how a malevolent AI could suddenly reach back into the past through space and time to start punishing people for not helping bring it about sooner. But this is the point. When you're talking about, quote, singularity, we don't know what happens after it, according to the theory. According to the theory, it's eminently possible that time travel is done by the AI from the future. Yeah. Because you assume that virtually anything can be done through technological means. Now, that's not necessarily correct, but it's possible. It's even plausible. Is time travel uh, plausible? I don't understand. I think <laughs> that there are theories of it, yeah. but I don't think it's generally, well, certainly not considered possible now, with current means, obviously. But um, I just think that this is a really interesting question. I, for one, am probably in favour of regulating artificial intelligence research, the kind of the hardcore stuff. Um, and I suppose I'm a little bit... Uh, I'm not real enthusiastic about our prospects if such a thing can be created because there is no secure system. And a guy like Elon Musk, who is as smart as he is and seems to have as good a grasp of the future as he does... Considers this our biggest risk. Yeah, that's the thing. If someone, uh, if someone that uh, intelligent and with that much knowledge about this sort of topic yeah. is that worried about it, we should probably all be worried about it. Also, though, a track record of prescience. And it's hard to take it seriously because it just sounds so fucking weird and freaky. Um, but... I suppose you just have to have a little bit of imagination and consider how weird and freaky what we take for granted day to day now would have been to someone even 30 years ago. I think there are a lot of people who would have denied that it was possible to do things that we consider standard now. Although they also thought we'd be uh, living on the moon and Mars by now. <laughs> yeah, that's actually an interesting point in the sense that there's this saying in Silicon Valley that um, we wanted flying cars and instead we got 140 characters. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly communication has been the way that things have moved forward. Yeah. Um, things that aren't, how can I put it, restrained by physicality. Um, the thing is, though, that on that argument, if I'm right about that, and that's a very hack kind of <laughs> not well thought through theory, well, artificial intelligence is in the realm of um, not being restrained, except to the extent that it's require that it requires the building of a simulated human brain out of physical components. Anyway, so ends my rant. Radio. So we've uh, we've come to the point where the libertarian wants more regulation. Yeah, we have. <laughs> and I'm uh, I wouldn't even call myself a libertarian. I'm <laughs> I'm a person who has libertarian. Uh, what's the word? No one Leanings. really. No one really cares. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Till next time. Till next time.